We are going to swing for the bleachers tonight. We're going to try to get two whole verses. Simply because starting in November, you're going to have a plethora of, of pastors, and the kind of sort of could be maybe later um, another pastor and, and Josh, but you'll have plenty of teachers here, and my teaching may not be necessary, but it has been a tremendous blessing to be asked and to be able to provide for you teaching in the Word. Uh, these many months that I've been allowed to. So we're going to be teaching in James, which we're always teaching in James. Uh, we're going to actually start in in 1 Peter. So that's just past James. We're going to read 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9 as the introduction, but we'll be doing James 1, 7, and 8 tonight. So 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, as he has caused us to be born again in living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power uh, are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Does that sound familiar with James? So that the testing, the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result and praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, uh, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is un inexpressible and filled with glory, obtain, obtaining the outcome of your faith and salvation of your souls. Sorry for that choppiness. In my mind, I'm already preaching, and I'm trying to read at the same time, and I don't multitask well. So let's open in prayer. Heavenly Father, please use this time tonight to confirm in our minds that we can have all that we ask of you in faith, believing, if we come to you according to the standards you have set, believing in faith and being secure in our our understanding of Christ's love for us, Christ's de desire towards us, and your care over us. Father, bless your word tonight, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we know from our previous times here that James, like Peter, they're actually talking to the same people, to the 12 tribes in a dispersion. So they're both talking to those in Israel that were scattered abroad when the persecution came from our, our blessed brother Saul, who became Paul the Apostle. So this is where we're at tonight. We learned in both First Peter and in James that the testing of our faith works patience. That actually in James, that we're supposed to eagerly run towards 
uh, the trials that we receive because they're being used to grow us in steadfastness and love. And he went from that into, yeah, let me not get ahead of myself. Let me go with where we're at. So it's interesting that Peter and James are writing to the same people. It's also interesting that they're, they're talking about the same thing. And it's also interesting that the trials of your refinement, uh, your perseverance, your trust, your growth in faith and understanding are the same in both books. And the reason I bring that up is because the Bible is one big word of Christ. Everything matches. Everything is, is there driving you to Jesus Christ. There's no book that stands out and say, wow, I don't, that doesn't fit. Everything fits together. It's a big puzzle. All the pieces fit. But you got to put the puzzle pieces in the right place or they don't fit. And then you get frustrated like me and let your wife build the puzzle and you leave it alone. And so I just don't do puzzles. But this brings us to James 1, 7, and 8, and I've titled this The Consequence of Our Actions. So last week we learned that if we, or last week, last month we learned that if we come to Christ in faith, if we come to God in faith believing that he will answer our prayers. But now James is going to tell us the consequences of that when we don't do what, what God has told us we need to do if we want answered prayer. And that brings us to verses 7 and 8. Let me go ahead and read those. Actually, I'm going to start at 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith without doubting. See, that's, that's the intent that we have to come to God well, in our prayers. For the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. And we get that, that picture of the waves just being knocked around. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. We don't want to be a double-minded man, unstable in all our ways. We want to be secure in what we're asking, and we, have, we want to have faith that he's going to answer those prayers because we've, we've come to him uh, having our sins confessed, our heart right with God, and asking for those things that glorify God most in our lives in his, uh, and for his glory. So verse 7, for that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. This is an emphatic statement. This is a statement uh, with no gray areas in it. There's no soft peddling by James here uh, because he's afraid of offending. He's telling you straight up. Four, four is a conjunction here that says the reasonable expectation of verse 5 and 6 uh, draws a logical conclusion in verse 7 and 8. So if you lack wisdom, ask God. If you ask God in faith, nothing wavering, he'll give you that full assurance and he'll, he'll bless you abundantly. This is the promise wrapped in a command that should give us confidence to cast all the cares upon him. He tells us in 1 Peter 5, 7, this is the amplified version, casting all your cares, all your anxieties, all your worries, all your other concerns, once and for all on him who cares about you with deepest affection and watches over you very carefully. That's how we pray. That's why we pray. God's purposes and methods never change, 
what is being related to you here in James is exactly what is being related to you in 1 Peter. And he says, for that person must not. This is, the, this is where the reasonable expectation starts to be explained. Must not is saying, don't think for a moment, don't even imagine, don't try to bring that. That's like a, it's like a mother telling a kid that comes to him and begs for that cookie when she says you can't have that cookie till after dinner. Do not come to me with that. Don't ask that again. If you ask me that again, you're not getting it ever. I'm throwing the cookies away. They're going, I'm giving them to the birds, right? That's, that's an emphatic statement God is making here. Don't imagine for a minute if you come to God, and we'll get to how they're coming to God, but he's saying each individual person that desires to grow in wisdom, and, and, that is struggling in life, the attitude that this is talking about an attitude. And this attitude is, I want to grow, but I don't want to hurt. I want to learn, but I don't want to have to study and put time into the word. I want to be Christ-like, but I don't want it to require me to put in any effort. Have, have we ever been like this? Do we know people like that? Are there people that we love, that we know are saved in Christ, that we see this attitude, but first of all, do we see it in ourselves? I don't know how many times I sit down at 4 o'clock in the morning and think, Really, why am I up at 4 o'clock in the morning doing this? Lord, can't you just give me a vision and I'll write this down and we're all done. No, it doesn't work that way. I got to deal with it. I got to word by word, verse by verse, pray over it, think over it, study it day after day, month after month, and then get up here in 20, 30 minutes, have it all done. It's just gone. After all of that, and everyone says, wow, well, at least you got done in 30 minutes. Yeah. But it took months to get to that point. But that's the point of growth. It doesn't happen overnight. You work at it. The Christian life, our discipleship, is a, a constant striving to understand and obey Christ in all that he says in his word. And everything gets back to the word. Our life in Christ is to be dynamic and decisive, not teetering, not shaken. And with every event in our life and every concern and matter that happens, every situation that happens changing the way that we believe God wants us to react, our reaction should always be the same no matter what the circumstances are. Christ was asleep in the front of the boat because his faith was so strong he was not concerned about the storm. He knew what God was doing. We, we get shaken around because of the things that happen in our life and we don't have to be shaken. You have stage four cancer. Let's get shaken. No, let's stay firm. It's gone. Got answers. Those are answers. He says, let not that man suppose. That's to think, consider, to reason with a sense of assurance. What is he reasoning here? Can a man reasonably expect God to answer a prayer that you ask for wisdom if you yourself don't believe that he's going to answer the prayer? Why would God answer that? If you don't believe it, why would God do it? This is the logical reasoning. James just told us in verse 6 that we have to believe what we're asking is right and good and not be driven and tossed around and changing our mind, and God will answer it. So we have that assurance. The word of God will never change. 
All his promises are yes and amen. We get that out of 2 Corinthians 1.20. For all the promises of God we find, they're yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to the glory of God. All his, his answers are yes and amen. All we have to do is ask the right way for the right things, for the right purpose to his glory so that they get answered. God is a fixed point that never changes. His word, written word gives us where that fixed point is at. His written word give us our, gives us our focus to keep us. He, he's the true north that we stay on. And when we stay on that, he answers, and, he, and we receive blessings because of it. Let not man, that man suppose that he will receive anything. <clears throat> so think of it this way. I put my money in the bank, so it'll grow interest. The next day, I pull it out. And then the following day, I put my money back in the bank, and the next day, I pull it out. And then I got a statement from the bank, and it says I've drawn no interest. Well, of course I've dropped no interest. I keep taking it out. I can't make up my mind what I'm doing with it. So I, I put it in, I take it out, I put it in, I take it out. That's the same way in our life. If we are not going to stick with our plan, if we are not going to stay in the word, if we're not going to confess our sin before Christ, if we are not going to grow in the word through a daily study in the word, why do we think we're going to gain an interest with God? We can't. We, we aren't putting anything into it. We can go into all the talents and, and the, the different parables he talks about in this, but then we would not be done in 30 or 40 minutes. See, I'm already lengthening it. It's supposed to be 20, 30. Now I'm at 30, 40. Maybe by the time we're done, it's going to be an hour to an hour and 20 minutes. But I won't go into the parables, I promise. So some, <clears throat> So the same is here with God. He told you, that what you need to do to grow in Christ and, and how to gain wisdom and patience and steadfastness, he's told you how to do that. If you don't do it, well, then God's going to let you flail around like somebody, somebody drowning. You never jump in where they're flailing around in the water when they're drowning. You stand on the shore or you stand on the edge of the pool until they stop flailing. And then you jump in and you receive and you rescue them. Because if you go in with their flailing, you're going to drown too. Because they can't be controlled. But if you wait till they've sucked in enough water that they stop fighting, you can pull them out of the water and save them. And, and most of the time that works. So, but God will let us flail in our sin and in our misery and in our uncertainty until we stop flailing and we look to him and say, help me, Lord. Then we'll be helped. Said, so let not that person think that he will receive anything from the Lord. It's an interesting distinction here. Of course, we're thinking of anything from the Lord. But on the other hand, don't we sometimes put the Lord to the side? And we love the fact that we can, we can gain the praise of man like we learned this morning. That we can have many things done in our life where we're achieving things in the world and we look like we have great renown. But James says here, that's the world. If you want to receive anything from the Lord, you do the Lord's way. If you want to receive things from the world, do it the world's way. And, and God will let you go down that path. We hear that in Romans 1. 
Read the second half of Romans 1. That's man achievement through following the, the desires of the world. And it's an ugly list. But if we want what God wants, then the success is measured on God's standard, not our own. And that means we have to do it God's way. If you want what God offer, is offering, you have to do it God's way. And then you can, you can anticipate the results. And that, that's called your steadfastness and assurance and faith. God's results come from godly principles and actions. World results come from worldly principles and actions. And we've seen that in our lives both ways. Romans 8, 12, and 13. So then, brethren. We are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, for if we live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So he makes it, Paul is making it real simple for you. Do this, you live. Do this, you die. Do this, God blesses you. Do that, then you're in the world, and, and you don't have the blessings of God. It, it's pretty black and white here. It's not a genie in a bottle. It's not a lottery ticket. It's not a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. And I know that for a fact because I actually stood in the end of the rainbow and there is no pot of gold. None. It was really cool standing there, but no pot of gold. That's the only time I ever got to do that was the plains of Colorado. But our actions resulting in negative or positive outcomes are based on our methods, our wants, and our desires. First Thessalonians 5 tells us, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Do what God is requiring of you, and God is faithful and will surely do what he says he will do. You have the tools. What are you doing with them? Are they sitting in a box nice and shiny? Or are they beat up, worn out, and dirty? Are you using the tools? Or are you just staring at them? That determines your life in Christ. And you make those choices yourself. Oh, you know, I just want to let go and let God. Well, you do that, and you're going to flail around and do nothing. Because God has not told you to let go and let God. There are some things we let go and let God. If, in John's case, a cancer, you don't have any way of controlling that. That's a let go and let God. But you still pray without ceasing. You still pray in faith believing. But the outcomes are on God, not on you. But if you do it according to God's will, and it's God's purpose for you to continue longer, then he takes care of the situation. And you have victory. Verse 8. This, I love this verse, and, and you'll see why in a minute here, because I love it when we get down to a double-minded man. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his way. Who's he talking about? He's talking about the waffling, uncommitted, unfaithful believer who ignores the instructions of God and expects the utmost in blessings. This is who he's talking about. The, the one that is driven by the wind and tossed. I want to be a nominal Christian, but I expect extraordinary results. No, no. If you strive for mediocrity, you will have mediocrity, right? 
Your issue is not the untrustworthiness of God. Your issue is you. And it always gets back to us. God is always faithful. We are always the issue. In this verse it says he is a double-minded man. He is, and a lot of your books are going to be bracketed. He is it's because he is isn't actually in there. It's, it's taken from the Greek and it's implied he is. So it would actually start out a double-minded man. This literally means a man that doesn't... <coughs> This literally means a man, but it doesn't mean that a woman is off the hook. Sometimes, even though it's anthropos and it means man, it doesn't necessarily mean just man. In this case, it means person. So man, woman, child, it doesn't matter. So by our personal actions, man, woman, or child, we can draw the logical conclusion this individual is double-minded, but but why don't but why won't the hear the the Lord hear the double-minded man? Well, let's look at what a double-minded man is. Strong's concordance calls double-mindedness spiritual schizophrenia. Isn't that great? Spiritual schizophrenia. I love that. So, what is schizophrenia? The definition by your normal dictionary is. A delusion, false beliefs, hallucinations, seeing or hearing things that don't exist, unusual physical behavior, and a disorganized thinking and speech. That's just a normal dictionary. That is spiritual schizophrenia. But a psych psychiatric dictionary says a serious mental disorder or condition of a type that involves a breakdown in the relation between thought, emotion, behavior, leading to a faulty perception, inappropriate actions and feelings, a withdrawal from reality, and a personal relationship into fantasy and delusion. That's what double-minded is. God is saying, let not the man who is double-minded or a spiritual schizophrenic think that he's going to receive anything from God. So we can start, we can see why God does not answer this person's prayer because this person doesn't know what their prayer is. They're just, they're all over the board. What is God's point here? We don't know what we want after all, if we don't know what we want after all of our trials and all of our testing and all of our time being um, the, the dross being burned away in our life. If we don't know what we want, God is going to allow us to continue to wallow in our misery until we come to that point where we look up to heaven and say, all right, Lord, I'm tired of this. Do something with me. Change me. Stop my spiritual schizophrenia. Give me a solid purpose. Give me a solid direction, and I will follow it. That's, that's what we're looking for. He says that the double-minded man is unstable. He's restless. He's lacking commitment. No strength at foundation. So the whole structure is questionable. That's what we are. We're, if, if we don't have a focus on what we're supposed to be doing or why we're supposed to be doing it, we're unstable in everything. So now we're to the point where it's okay to doubt and question ourselves. 
it's even healthy for us to doubt and question ourselves. So we can look at our unstableness and say, why are we unstable? 1 Corinthians 11 tells us, and I'm doing this in, in uh, Randy's revised version. For if we would judge ourselves, that's if we would investigate, discriminate, weigh the pros and cons, we would not be judged. God would not have to do it for us. But when we are judged, but if you don't, and God has to judge you, we are chastened. We're disciplined, trained, and educated by the Lord that you may not be condemned, pronounced guilty, and issued a penalty with the world. That's what we don't want. We don't want to be issued a penalty with the world. So it's okay to doubt ourselves and even to investigate ourselves where we're at and do something about it. But it's not okay to doubt the Lord or to question his motives. It's our understanding of what God is doing with us is it's never that God is in doubt. It's always that we are in doubt. The issue is always us. God is not a spiritual schizophrenic. We are spiritual schizophrenics. And that comes from not spending time in the Word, I'm telling you. You spend time in the Word, it's the anchor of your soul. If you don't spend time in the Word, you have no anchor, and you're getting tossed around by the waves. Spend time in the Word, you'll change that. This is where the two separate. We investigate, discriminate, weigh our pros and cons, and our motives and actions, but we never investigate, discriminate, weigh the pros and cons of God's motives and actions. That's a no-no. Don't do that. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar found that out in Daniel 4. He says, And at the end of days I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me. He repented. And I blessed the Most High. And I praised and honored him who lives forever, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. He does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can say, stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? God judge, God judged him because he did not judge himself and pronounce him guilty and issued him a penalty and let him wallow in his sin and let him run around in the wilderness and his hair grow and eat grass and his nails grow and just be a nasty schizophrenic dude until he repented. When he repented, everything changed. He says he's unstable in all his ways. So the spiritual schizophrenic is that way in everything he does. There's no relevance to the thinking that I can be untidy in one area of my life but not be untidy in all areas of my life. Our, our lives are an either-or situation, not a more or less. So we, we, we can't watch, speak, or listen to vulgarity and have a clean conscience before God. You can't do it. You can't be looking at things that you should not be looking at and have a vibrant prayer and study life in Christ. It, it's impossible. <clears throat> you can't, you can't um, do those things that you know are abhorrent to God and ex expect God to bless your life. You want God to bless your life, do those things that are honor him, and you will grow in Christ. 
Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, was sure of this, um, this either or, not more or less situation when, when he wrote out the qualifications of a pastor. 1 Timothy 3, therefore an overseer must be above reproach. That's without blame in light of the whole picture. Never caught doing wrong. All accusations of misconduct are found to be groundless. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. Bad habits in one area spill over into bad habits in all areas. That's why the qualifications are there. That's why in most situations it's best if you pull your, your elders and your, your pastors out of the congregation where they've had time and testing in there and people know them. Uh, Gabe's, uh, Gabe's different. We weren't able to do that at this point, but there's enough about Gabe all over the internet and other churches. You can pretty well figure out who he is, and that's what we've done. And thank God he's coming here and going to do those things which, uh, which only God has planned for him to do for the blessings in this church in the future. So, in conclusion, Christianity is a whole person experience. Body, soul, spirit, our thoughts, our desires, our actions. God was all in when he sacrificed his son for us. God demands that we be all in in our expectations of him for us. If we expect to have love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, if those things are going to be true of us, it's going to come through time in the Word. It's not going to come through watching football. I, I know it's hard to believe. It's not going to come by fishing trips, hunting trips, backpacking, spending time alone with God in nature. Though all those things are just fun, that's not how you grow in Christ. You grow in Christ through the Word. He gave us a special revelation, and he expects us to treat it specially and to use it to grow in Christ continuously and not be driven by the waves, not be spiritual schizophrenics. If we come in here in a couple weeks and I look at you and say, Brother, I think you're a spiritual schizophrenic, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. And if you start pulling out your hair and screaming, you'll only prove the point. Okay? So let's have none of that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your written word. We thank you for that special revelation written by 40 or so men over 1,500 years that gives us your complete word so that we aren't looking through the mirror dimly, but that we are, we are looking clearly at what the prophets could only dream about and only wonder about as they were writing your word. Father, have mercy on us. Grant us the joy of your salvation. Father, grow us in Christ as we spend time in your word. Teach us your ways, O Lord. Teach us your paths. Father, we pray that you would guide our lives, that you would guide this church, that you would grow this church in Christ, that you would make it a 
a light that shines in darkness. We are right outside that college. Father, let this, let this be a beacon of hope for all those lost souls that are learning all the world's garbage in that school and let them come here and hear the clarity of the word and receive the joy that they can have by admitting they are sinners lost and dying and, and bound for hell and come to the true saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for all that we have in Christ. I thank you for these dear ones that came out tonight to hear your word. I pray that this would be a blessing in their life. For us in Jesus' name we pray, amen.